Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, Mr. News, hit it! Next on the Ledger Report... January 6, 2021, we find out whether we still have a constitutional republic or a banana republic. Stand by. The doors of the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in, so sit back and relax as we unfold this edition of the Ledger Report. There was a time, a time before cable, when the local anchor man reigned supreme. And in San Diego... One anchor man was more man than the West. His name was Graham Ledger. These are normal folks living normal lives who firmly believe that they have been disenfranchised. And to listen to the mainstream press and quite a few voices in this building tell them after four years of nonstop Russia hoax, it was a hoax. It was based on the whole Russia nonsense. Stop tape, stop tape, stop tape. This is uh, Josh Howley, the Republican senator from Missouri, who is expressing the angst that I think... Tens of millions of Americans are feeling right now. The, the Americans who pulled the lever, if you will, for Donald Trump for president of the United States. But I would imagine there's probably tens of millions of Americans who chose not to participate in our franchise, our precious right to vote. Tens of millions of Americans did not vote. I mean, think about it. The universe of votes in this election cycle, Joe Biden ostensibly getting 80 million votes. Does anybody really believe that? <laughs> I mean, including Joe Biden. If you stuck some truth serum in it, after he gets the COVID shot, maybe instead of the COVID shot, we put some truth serum in him. And if we can get a cogent, coherent answer out of him, Joe, hey, uh, do you really believe that 80 million Americans voted for you? <laughs> well, uh, 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 of course, uh, of course they did. Uh, you see, uh, come on, man. He doesn't believe it. Nobody believes he got 80 But the bottom line is only about half this country participated. Uh, eligible voters, maybe in the neighborhood. It depends. You know, we have to throw out all the dead voters, right? The people who are dead are voting in Chicago. That's a normal thing, unfortunately, but we need to clean that up. The dead people who voted in Georgia, we know that took place. The dead people that voted in Pennsylvania, probably in Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Nevada, all these swing states, California, dead people are voting. It happens all the time. This is the kind of thing that we need to stop. This is why my good friend Ruth Weiss at the Election Integrity Project says we need to have a you're no longer registered to vote day. Could happen. I, I wouldn't bet my house on it. She says that we need a day. Obviously, you need a congressional act for this. And, and then it would be a challenge forever. Because it would be a violation of our federalist system, if you will. It would potentially be a violation of the Constitution. Article 1, Section 
It's Article 2, Section 1. And other elements. You know, these people would appeal this thing forever. But she says, you know, we have a, a day where we just wipe the slate clean and then everybody has to re-register for voting. And wouldn't that get rid of the dead voters? Sure, it would. I mean, there obviously there are probably ways to corrupt it. But my plan, in my opinion, the only way to fix this is to add a constitutional amendment to the United States Constitution that would effectively do three things. One, establish a single election day, not an election month. Number two, mandatory voter ID nationally, nationwide, every state. Uh, And uh, number three would be, yeah, you can do a mail-in ballot. Sure, you can do an absentee ballot, but you got to get it notarized. Just like we do bank documents, just like when you're signing loan documents, just like when you're signing anything that's important, you get a notary to verify you are who you are and your signature is valid. That would end the uh, mail voter fraud now, wouldn't it? Oh, but Graham is going to disenfranchise voters. How are people? Some people can't afford a notary. Fine. Fine. Just like these states have come up with a solution for voter ID, they give you a voter ID. You go in and you get a voter ID. No charge. Just like, or a nominal charge, if there is one. Just like that, you do the same thing with the notary. You make it available at the Registrar of Voters. Or you make it available in satellite locations. Or you or you have these traveling notaries and Traveling notaries have been around for a long, long time. So Josh Howley is expressing the frustration for tens of millions of Donald Trump voters. Let's hear a little bit more. Roll tape. Since was based on, we now know, lies from a Russian spy. The Steele dossier was based on a Russian spy. After- Stop tape. This is another point of frustration, obviously. There are people running around this country who still believe that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to win the 2016 election. It's mind-boggling, but they're out there. And so Josh is, is reminding his colleagues how they perpetuated this in the news cycle. And of course, the news cycle, the news cycle is like an arsonist. You know, the mainstream media, they're like a group of arsonists. They light a fire, a giant blazing wildfire, burning down the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, burning down elements of this republic, burning down the truth, all for the sake of their political party. So they light the fire, and they step back, and they say, oh, look, there's a fire. Let's report on it. And it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, this self-fueling fire. And they never go back and say, hey, the fire's out. They never go back, and what my former news director used to say, to me, close the circle. They never close the circle anymore. They never say, hey, that wildfire never amounted to anything. Hey, the truth about that wildfire, they never do that. They just leave it burning out there, smoldering among the American masses who are too stupid, too ill-informed to verify that they were being lied to. Here's more from Senator Hawley. Roll tape. Four years of that being told 
that this, that the last election was fake and that Donald Trump wasn't really elected and that Russia intervened. After four years of that, now these same people are told, you just sit down and shut up. If you have any concerns about election integrity, you're a nutcase. You should shut up. Stop tape. Well, you can put me down as one of the uh, nutcases. Um, and I guess Peter Navarro, uh, the president's team, is a nutcase, too. And Peter and I go back a long way. Peter ran for mayor of San Diego, believe it or not. He was a professor, I think, at UC Irvine. And he was a carpetbagger. Came down, ran for mayor of uh, San Diego and didn't win. Had some great ideas. Peter Navarro has always been a very fiscal conservative kind of person, fiscally conservative. And he's now also an expert on China. And he's one of those people out there who are sounding the alarm bells about China. But because the Congress won't do it, and apparently the various governors in these swing states won't do it. And apparently the intelligence committee, uh, community won't do it. Peter Navarro put together a report, and I've read parts of it. It's called The Immaculate Deception. Now, I don't like that title. Because immediately it, the mainstream media is going to put it in a partisan category. It should read election malfeasance in the 2020 presidential cycle or voter fraud confirmed voter fraud confirmed voter corruption in the 2020 presidential election cycle something like that instead he named it the immaculate deception six key dimensions of election irregularities that doesn't mean that the information in it isn't valid it is and he put it together he has a nice little chart i encourage you uh, to read through it but he has the six swing states in question, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And he's got a little graph he set up there. And he's got the states going across the bar. And then down on the left column is uh, the things that went anti-constitutional during the 2020 presidential election. Outright voter fraud. And every state is checked. Outright voter fraud in these six states Every single one of them has evidence of outright voter fraud. Now, that's a generic term, but we've drilled down in some of these states. For example, outright voter fraud in Michigan would be the woman who came forward and said she saw ballots counted 9, 10, 11, 12, 15 times. That's what you would call voter fraud. He's got ballot mishandling. <laughs> I'm sure all 50 states have ballot mishandling. For some reason, he doesn't have the check mark in Arizona. You folks in Arizona, can you verify the ballots weren't mishandled? Of course not. Of course they're. If you have voter fraud, which is checked in the previous column, then necessarily you're going to have ballot mishandling. Uh. Equal Protection Clause. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, All states are checked on that. And effectively, the argument here under the 14th Amendment is were people in each of these states, voters, treated equally? And clearly, they were not. And George is a great example with the signature malfeasance, where in some counties in Georgia, they use this signature verification process process and in some counties in georgia they said ah don't worry about it Ah, don't worry about it count those ballots so equal protection violated in various forms that's just one example 
in all of these uh, six states. Voting machine irregularities and significant statistical anomalies. Those are really one and the same thing, in my opinion. I mean, clearly, the Democrat Party has signed on to use the Dominion voting process when there are others out there because it is shaky. They knew it was shaky and they knew it was manipulable. That's the perfect storm for them. So they can have what they have now, which is an election result that they preordained. And that, that na- now they can say, well, you know, the, the system is what it is and we can't be responsible for this. It's, it's a voting system. And then if you go back and you try and read the tape, the memory, apparently it wipes it out. It's got a system where you can't even retrieve the memory. Now, I don't believe that. I know these IT guys, and I know they're good, and I know they have a way to do this. And the, the auditing should be done, and the investigation should be done by these governors, like in Georgia, Kemp. What is his problem? We know crazy nutcase Whitmer and the lunatic wolf uh, in Pennsylvania, they're not going to do an investigation. But you got to have a Republican governor, for crying out loud, in Georgia. Or at least he says he's a Republican. The guy has gone completely off the rails. And when I knew he was off the rails is when he nominated Loeffler for the Senate seat, when he had tremendous candidates with real constitutional credentials Instead, he nominated this Loeffler person. And so the Senate, oh, by the way, DNI Radcliffe, who's trying to do his job apparently, now has announced that there is officially foreign election interference. Okay? So we've got this report from Peter Navarro, which is going to be ignored in the mainstream media. I encourage you to read it. Uh, We've got the... Director of National Intelligence, John Radcliffe, saying, hey, there is foreign interference. Now, there was supposed to be a report issued to him by December 18th per the executive order signed by President Trump. And that date is not going to be met by these people in the intelligence community. Really makes you wonder, doesn't it? Really makes you wonder about the swamp and how deep the swamp is and why they can't hit a deadline. You know, my career has been driven by a deadline every day. You got a 5 o'clock news program? You can't show up at 5.01. You hit the deadline, and you hit it every day. My former colleagues, you know, the reporters, they have to have their stories turned in before 5 o'clock for the 5 o'clock news. Why can't the federal government meet deadlines? I'm just wondering... I met deadlines my entire career. Every day, deadlines. Yet we can't have the intelligence community come out at least with a preliminary report. So Radcliffe says, uh, yeah, he has evidence of foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election cycle. And one would imagine is China. Of course it is. We know China threw a lot of money out there during this election cycle, helping to prop up the mainstream media, dying dinosaurs like the New York Times. We know they threw millions of dollars at them to keep the anti-Trump news cycle going. 
And so Radcliffe says, yeah, there's evidence of foreign interference, probably not just China. But of course, China is going to be the biggest player. So the Senate, the Department of Homeland Security, um, Senate uh, panel had a hearing and they brought in so-called witnesses. Now, I say so-called because they didn't bring in the people who they should have heard from. They brought in attorneys for Trump. They brought in what I would call partisans, partisans to the mainstream media that they can just write off. So you have an attorney uh, testifying before this committee for Donald Trump talking about election malfeasance. It just doesn't work as well as if you have a lady who was there who saw the ballots being run 10 times. But they did have some okay testimony. I mean, it's important testimony. I just try and look at things through the filter of the mainstream media, and they're going to dismiss all this. So you have this uh, representative from Pennsylvania, Francis Ryan, who's talking about what happened in the Keystone State. Roll tape. The mail-in ballot system for the general election in 2020 in Pennsylvania was so fraught with inconsistencies and irregularities that the reliability of the mail-in votes in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is almost impossible to rely upon. Stop tape. Let's do this from memory now. They sent out 1.8 million mail-in ballots to voters in Pennsylvania, 1.8. They got back 1.4 million, if I remember. They received 1.4 million, yet Pennsylvania counted 2.5 million mail-in ballots. I'm sorry. I went to a state university, so my math skills are a little bit weak, but that doesn't add up. 1.8 million sent out, 1.4 million received, but they counted 2.5. What more do you need, Governor Wolf? What more do you need to say, hey, wait a minute, people of Pennsylvania, something's not right here. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You are destroying our republic. You are destroying our franchise. And in Michigan, same thing. And they did a recount in that county that was suspect that, that switched the electors. And sure enough... The county in question, that one county in Michigan, that they reported as Joe Biden winning on election night, recount confirms Trump won Michigan County that reported Biden win on election night. So here we go again, over and over and over and over again. All right, so we're all funneling all this information to people who are in decision-making positions. And those decision makers are the legislatures of these states who right now, as I have been clamoring for since before the election, should get their act together and get a constitutional spine and send a Trump set of electors to Congress. And as far as I know, as a body, it has not happened. And these are all Republican-controlled legislatures. That said, there are multiple competing sets of electors. Seven states cast dueling votes for Trump. 
Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. These are alternate slates of electoral votes for Donald Trump versus the ones that were, quote, certified by these secretaries of state and governors of these various states. So what does this mean come January 6th? Is there a ray of hope that the Congress, that is both bodies of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, but a lot of eyes are going to be on the House. Of course, you got the Senate in, quote, Republican control. And I say, quote, because you still got Mitt Romney there and you still got old turkey neck and you still got uh, Murkowski and Collins. So is there a shot for Donald Trump? That is the question. Joining me now is the senior fellow of governance at R Street, James Walner, also a constitutional expert. James, I would put you uh, in that category. It all comes down on January 6th to the United States Congress, and this would be a joint session of Congress. And because the Republicans are apparently retaining at least through January 6th control of the Senate, and because the Democrats have a slim majority in the House of Representatives, any electors that are in dispute will come down to votes of these two bodies, correct? That's correct. The, uh, the Congress will, will gather um, each chamber in the House and they will count the, uh, the electoral votes. And if there are disputes uh, related, if any member makes an objection, raises an objection to one of those uh, one of the electors or the votes of the cast by the electors, the, the two chambers immediately or the two bodies immediately disassemble and go back to their respective chambers where they then debate whether or not those uh, electors should be um, those votes should be thrown out. And therefore, this becomes a highly political partisan process. Whether we like it or not, this is the way the system is set up, correct? Uh, you know, that, that is correct. And it's, you know, there's no other way to make decisions uh, jointly on the basis of equality and freedom than, than to do it like this. And, and it certainly is something that uh, hasn't happened all that often. The last time I believe that there were disputes over electors was in the 60s um, relating to George Wallace, where they actually, um, you know, where the two chambers went back to their respective places and they, they debated on whether or not electors from the state of North Carolina should be, should be allowed to cast their votes uh, or if they should count, uh, I should say. So it's a rare thing, but it is a, a procedure that is, that is there in case the, this happens. Hawaii also was in play and in question in the 1960 uh, election cycle. And uh, in the end, it was uh, Hawaii that put uh, Kennedy over the top uh, over Nixon which is interesting. But, you know, we, we talk about how if you can clear a hurdle, and, and again, because this is a political process, and because in the Senate there's a slim majority, the Democrats hold the line pretty well in the House of Representatives. So for people who believe, as I do, that there is total election malfeasance in these swing states, um, and that the, the election was stolen to a degree, and that there's probably no way that Joe Biden accumulated 80 million jokes uh, votes lawfully, uh, and that President Trump probably won this election, unless the state legislatures step in right now and deliver competing sets of electors, and then the Congress says, okay, these electors are in question, we can't count them toward the 270 needed, 
for an electoral win, unless all of those things happen, it appears that Joe Biden would be sworn in on January 20th, 2021. That's correct. The hurdle is very high. Even if someone does object to an elector and the vote they cast in the Electoral College for Joe Biden, uh, the vote, it, it would be extraordinarily difficult. Let's just look at the Senate for that matter, because that's the chamber that is controlled currently by Republicans. The Senate, under the, the rules and precedents of the Senate, you have two hours, two hours to decide this question on that elector. Each senator is allowed to speak for only five minutes. And at the end, it's a simple majority vote. And, and it doesn't look like there are 51 Republicans that are willing to go um, down that road. But it, let's assume that even then the Senate can agree to, uh, to throw out out these electors they want to do it well presumably the house would not want to do it right and then they would come back together and there would not be an agreement on whether or not to throw out that elector or a set of electors for a particular state and under the under statutory law what happens is that those electors ultimately then count those electors then go into they count if you can't reach an agreement on what what to do with them their votes are ultimately counted. So I think what you see here is the it, it is an extraordinarily difficult hurdle to overcome to throw out any electors if we assume that the Democrats aren't going to play ball. And in that scenario you just talked about there where the Senate uh, is game for throwing out the electors, but the House is not, people who are pinning hopes on the president of the session, that would be Vice President uh, Mike Pence, of, of taking some sort of uh, extraordinary action and throwing out. He just doesn't have necessarily the power. That would be extraordinary, too. <laughs> if Mike Pence stood up and said, OK, we're going to throw out the electors, procedurally, that wouldn't fly either, would it? Uh, no, I mean, basically, I mean, one, it, it doesn't have the authority to do that. But two, uh, if, if he tried, I mean, the House could certainly over, overrule the, the, uh, the chair. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about the, the way that you vote in the House and this, you, is by in this situation when they're all together is by state. Each state has one vote. And so, you know, it, it would be it's it's another wrinkle to figure out where the different you know, you may have members who want to uh, challenge the, this process, but they may be outvoted within their own state delegations by those who do not. But this one vote, one state scenario only happens if there are not 270 elected. Right. So in other words, you have to clear this constitutional congressional hurdle first. You have to have some sort of majorities in both bodies of Congress saying, hey, these electors are no good. We're going to throw them out. And then you drop below the threshold of 270 for the one state, one vote per delegation to kick in, correct? That's correct. But again, that's, I guess, just, my point is it's yet another hurdle here, because if you even get to that point, then you have to look at the delegations and say, well, where are the people in the House and the Senate who don't like what's happening and who question this process and assuming that they can be successful? And I think it's extraordinarily difficult for them to be successful. But assuming you get that far, when you get into a one state, one vote type um, scenario, in, in terms of picking the president, my guess is that those those members are going to be part of delegations that are going to outvote them, which means that the ultimate outcome would ultimately be no different. It would be Biden over Trump anyway. And so it looks like on January 20th, 2021, that Joe Biden would be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. And that from a constitutional perspective, there is a, a long shot way to stop this but it doesn't look like there is the political gumption 
to do so. Would that be a, a correct summation? Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I think right now they're they're just outvoted. I mean, fundamentally, they're not enough votes, and and so there is no under the Constitution, under the statutory law that tries to put into effect the uh, the processes in the Constitution. There's no way, in my in my opinion, for for people who to overthrow uh, the you know electors and discount their votes if they think they were done fraudulently. This is the problem. You know, it should have been handled at the state level. This is what I've been saying for many, many months now prior to the election, that Pennsylvania needed to get its act in order before the election. Georgia needed to get its act in order before the election. Wisconsin, Michigan, all of these states needed to get their ducks in a row before this happened because it opens the door for something like this down the road. And until there's some sort of constitutional mechanism to clean this up or the states individually clean it up, uh, we have an electoral problem here that, that tens of millions of Americans are going to have to suffer through. That's just the way it is. Right. And I think the fact that the states have chosen not to do that, um, it, I think, speaks to the fact that they that you there is not support in those states to for them to actually to 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 overturn uh, the set of electors that have been that have been certified, which further shows, I think, that the outcome is going to be Biden is going to be the president. It's a bitter pill to swallow for at least 74 million Americans, but it looks like that's going to be the pill. James Walner, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, I have always been honest with you, and I will continue to always be honest with you. And I'm not going to be a cheerleader here for something that is unlikely. January 6th is going to be a very important constitutional day And it could stretch out to January 7th and 8th and beyond. The Senate is controlled by the Republicans, but the House is controlled by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. And it's a it's a razor margin in both. Can you peel off some Democrats in the House of Representatives? Don't hold your breath. It will be a heck of a lot easier to peel off some Republicans in the United States Senate. So, I will tell you, I don't hold out a hell of a lot of hope. The courts, forget about the courts. I don't care if the Supreme Court starts taking cases. Look at their record. Look at the John Roberts Court. And frankly, from a constitutional perspective, this matter does not belong in the courts. It belongs where the Constitution says it belongs. And that is with the state legislatures. And after that, if there's a problem and there aren't enough electors to elect a president with these competing slates of electors, then it's up to the United States Congress. And we know that Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives is in charge. And we know that Mitt Romney and company reside over in the United States Senate. And we know how Romney voted for impeachment. So, ladies and gentlemen, we got to be honest to ourselves. We have to start saying, okay, what... Does a post-January 20th, 2021 life in America look like? Are we going to just sit down and take this? Are we going to mobilize? Are we going to mobilize constitutionally? Or are we going to mobilize otherwise, as our forefathers did when they had to declare their independence? I'm not suggesting necessarily that the Red states declare independence and secede from the Union, but it is an option. Taking to the streets and 
using physical force is an option too. Land you in jail could spark a civil war. I don't know. When you look at the election being stolen right out from under our eyes and you look at our constitutional rights being crushed in all states, all 50 states, but especially in the blue states, but all states, anybody who mandates you wear a mask, anybody who tells you that you can't operate your business to its fully functioning self, any, any government that restricts your ability to live your life and to exercise your constitutional rights and to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, we're in trouble, folks. So we have to start asking ourselves, what do we do? You're just going to sit there and take it, or are you going to take action? You're going to try and put some fundamental breaks in there through the United States Constitution, or are you going to get involved in another route? I'm open for suggestions. I just know that uh, I can't take this sitting down. And so the question on the website, GrahamLedger.com, is who will be sworn in President of the United States come January 20th, 2021? Will it be Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or Nancy Pelosi? Now, if it's Nancy Pelosi, then we're on to something, right? That means that between January 6th and January 20th, a heck of a lot of fireworks have been uh, underway, and that Joe Biden had been denied the 270 electoral votes. And so... If Nancy Pelosi is sworn in as president of the United States, it wouldn't be a bad thing, in, in my opinion, because it would just be an interim presidency. Um, so um, that's my thoughts on that. I want to remind you to go to my website when you're there if you want to answer ledger register. And if uh, you have already, you want to go there for other things like my plan to fix California, which is a real plan of using the California Constitution to fix California, not unlike how I think we ought to fix this country. You can also go and order these wonderful, beautiful aviator ledger branded sunglasses. And if you do it quickly, I can get them out in time, I think, um, for Christmas. And so January 6th is an important day. Um, I think we're going to find out very quickly, very quickly, whether this is still a constitutional republic or unfortunately, as Hugo Chavez is looking down on us from hell or looking up from hell, have we devolved into what he prescribed in his country, which is a banana republic? This edition of the Ledger Report is on its way to the Archives Library of Congress. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm Graham Ledger. And remember, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. <laughs>